the last time I turned this on, it blew the bulb. Yeah, I see you I replaced it. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Thankful for the opportunity to stand before God's people. Uh, I look forward to coming to the house of God. In times past, a uh, long time ago, I dreaded it until I came to know and understand the doctrine of the old Baptist. And now I look forward to going. And uh, I'm thankful to the Lord that we have this opportunity. Suppose I can't talk about anything but what's on my mind. You ever try to talk about something wasn't on your mind, Brother Ward? It, it doesn't work. Uh, so I, I guess one of the things that I have on my mind this morning is uh, the idea of gospel regeneration and how that how that God saves his people and he saves them to the utmost. He doesn't need man's help. Uh, I think once we can distinguish the difference between becoming a son and becoming a disciple and getting born again and getting converted, there's a great distinction between that and it, it makes all the difference when you go to the word of God and you read and you understand that, that God saves his people to the utmost, and <clears throat> but not all that he elected or that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world will come into a gospel calling. There is an effectual calling, and there is a gospel calling. And I think that the world, by and large, uh, gets that mixed up. They think that everywhere it says saved, they're talk- that it's talking about heaven, but it's not. <clears throat> you look at Galatians 1.6, and it talks about how that Christ has saved us from this present evil world. That's not talking about being saved from hell. And there's a, there is a distinction we need to understand what we're saved from and what we're saved to. Uh, Peter talks about being saving ourselves from this untoward generation and being sanctified or set apart and meet for the master's use. I, I have a text over here in John five twenty five. It should be very familiar to everyone. But let's let's assume for a minute or, or look at how the world views uh, salvation. They believe that a preacher's got to take the word of God and preach it and place a decision before an individual in order for them to get to heaven. Well. That's got some problems. First and foremost, you, uh, the first question I always ask them is, what happens to those that never have an opportunity? Well, they'll tell you, well, they're saved by a special dispensation of grace. Well, if that's the case, then we're better off not even preaching to them at all because by preaching to them, you're putting their salvation in jeopardy. See how ridiculous that is. But John 5, 25, he says, An hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. I'm, I guess the gospel regenerationists would have a leg to stand on if that text said, And they shall hear the words of the Son of God. But here it says, The voice of the Son of God. Uh, and it's the same voice, in, and in five twenty-eight, he says, For the hour is coming, in the which that are all that are in grave shall hear his voice. 
Now, if it takes the voice, uh, if it took the voice of the preacher to get you born again, it'll take the same voice to get you out of the grave. And I know that we're not depending upon that. So, uh, by and large, uh, the world fails to make a distinction between the written word and the living word. Now, the preached word is like a seed that's sown. And it has to fall upon good ground of the heart that's prepared by Lord by the Lord in regeneration when he speaks to us and we become alive. Uh, it's, but it's some falls by the wayside, some f- fell on stony ground, some among the thorns, and some in good ground that bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Um, now, that's one thing, but that's talking about conversion or the gospel calling and becoming a disciple. Uh, and one one thing, uh, I think it's First Peter chapter one, and y'all pray for me if you would, while I attempt to. And I do talk to people, and they believe uh, that you have to hear the word of God. Now you've probably heard me say this before, but there's nothing new. <laughs> So, and we're to re- repeat things constantly, right? So, there are, what is, hang on, let me get my wallet and check, see what my name is right now. <laughs> you know how that happens, your train just jumps the track. Those that believe that they must hear the word of God, or the, or the preached word, or the written word, I'm, I'm going to ask which one. Now, I know that I, I trust that everybody here has a King James, and that we're all on the same sheet of music, as it were, and that we all, we don't have a bunch of different uh, books. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, the things that are different aren't the same. Though all those other books are say, uh, are different, and for instance, the NIV has 64,000 fewer words than the King James. Things that are different aren't the same. All right, and those other books, I think it's all, it's a distraction of the enemy to try to move us away from uh, from the Word of God. Now, I don't believe that the King James is inspired, but I believe that it's providentially guided, guided those, those uh, translators that gave us this book. And it came about in a time when English was a universal language, and it came about in a time when the printing press, Gutenberg's printing press, had come out. And for the first time ever, you were able to hold the entirety of the Word of God in your hand. Before time, they were they were scrolls, they were cumbersome, and they didn't didn't have it in this form. But I believe that it came about, like I said, when English was the universal language, as it is still today. And it came about at a time uh, around the Reformation. And by the way, primitive Baptists are not uh, Protestants. All right. We, we existed before the Protestant Reformation. Uh, many different names. Lollards, Waldenses. I mean, you go right down the line and you can, uh, you can uh, trace the name of the old Baptist church all the way back to John the Baptist. But in 1 Peter 1.23, he says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, 
but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Now, is anybody here going to take the position that this is talking about the Lord? Or is it talking about the written word? Now, I, I know that Adam's seed is, is corruptible seed, but in, in the same instance as the word of God is like a seed that's sown, people can and do corrupt the word of God. Now, but you're not you're not going to be able to corrupt the Lord, right? If it's a living, there's a difference between the living word and the written word. But you can't corrupt the Lord. Uh, was it First John three nine? Whosoever uh, hath the seed of God, he he can't seed for his seed remaineth in him. I, I, I didn't get that quote exactly, but we have the seed of God. There's a part of us that cannot sin. And but the same the same writer tells us that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's talking about the flesh. The flesh is going to continue to sin, even though we're born of the Spirit of God. We have a hope for heaven and glory. My hair's still falling out. My hair's turning gray, and I'm getting old. And if it were, if it were the case that there were no sin, then those that would not be the case. Anyhow. We're born again by the word of God, which liveth, which is alive. Hebrews chapter 4. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. So that's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who created all things, right? And he, he existed before his incarnation. Uh, there's a movement going around among some, uh, I don't think it's very large among the old Baptists, but some say that Jesus didn't exist until he was born in his, in his body. But we know that that's not the case. Right. I, di- I digress. Um, and here Paul is talking at you, yeah, and I said Paul... When I think about Hebrews, I'm going to tell you it's Paul. It can be proved that Paul is the author of Hebrews. But, again, I digress. But he's talking about laboring to enter into the rest of God. There is a rest for the people of God, right? And it's and it's found in, in trusting the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that he, he finished the work that God gave him to do and he saved everyone that was given to him by God the Father from the foundation of the world without the loss of one. There, there is rest in that. But he says, let us labor to enter into rest. It's almost like it's a contradiction in terms. But I went through a period of time in my own life where for three and a half years, I was up and down. Well, I've got to be, you know, make sure I go to church, make sure I give, make sure I, I'm there when the doors are open, do good works, get baptized, outrun the devil. And then I come full circle and I said, no. It's all by the grace of God. It's by what Jesus did on my behalf. It has nothing to do with my works whatsoever. And that's where the rest is right there. Because you you, you got to take that circle back around. That's a heavy burden to carry. But anyway, let us labor to enter in that rest. Uh, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick. And it's not talking about being speedy talking about being alive you hath he quickened 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. But the word of God is quick. It's alive. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. And and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. We don't we don't understand the, the breadth, the depth, the length, and the height uh, of, and the immensity of God's power. He says, Jesus has all power both in heaven and earth. That any and nothing is impossible with God. All things, and He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What's the greatest thing that you can think of? God can far exceed what that is. But it's quick and powerful and sharper than a two edged sword. You think about a two edged sword, Paul talks about behold the goodness and the severity of the Lord. Uh, toward the goodness, toward you know others. There's uh, God can be a God of wrath and uh, and vengeance, but He's also a God of mercy and love. So that's that's a two-edged sword. But anyway, uh, piercing even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and the marrow. Uh, I don't have that ability. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that I can tell you the difference because I can't. And he says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Well, the Lord knows what we're thinking. And I'll give you an experience. Most of you probably may have heard this before at one time. Uh, I've got several examples of this, how the Lord knows what we think. One Saturday, uh, when my oldest brother was living in this area, we he was an airplane pilot, and we... Uh, and it was, Got a Cessna 172, and we were flying over Comanche Peak. He was working. He was an engineer there at that time, contracting. But anyway, he wanted to fly over. And that particular Saturday, the wind was really just making everything real bumpy, and I was scared. And I, I, I kept saying, "I hope we don't crash. I hope we don't crash." And the thought came to me: he says, "Well, whether you die in a plane crash or not, your destiny is in God's hands." And that comforted me. So uh, that was on Saturday. Guess where I was Sunday? And I don't know if y'all, y'all remember Elder Gerald Stanford. The, the man was a shotgun preacher, uh, but he had an incredible gift. So I'm sitting there listening to him preach, and I don't know how far in it was, but at one point he turned and looked right at me. And he said, and you're right. Whether you die in a plane crash or not, your destiny is in God's hands. No, God is able to, to do that. He's able to manifest the secrets of the heart. That's the God that we serve. And when I come to the house of God, I expect that. I come in expectation to meet the Lord, uh, to come to a table that he's made for us that we can eat and drink in his kingdom. And yeah, he doesn't give us junk food either. Uh, no ho-hos or ding-dongs, but just the best. God gives God gives us his best. He doesn't give us his second best. But he's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And you know, and I heard someone say one time, said, well, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, let's back up and think about that for just a second. You remember when David had a desire to build the house of God, but God said, you're not going to do it, but your son's going to do it. But he says, it was good that it was in thine heart. He had good intentions. And God knows whether our intentions are real or, or fake. I mean, we can, we can uh, fool each other, but you can't fool the Lord. 
He knows the thoughts and the intents. And by the way, if you understand that the Lord knows what you're thinking, we probably need to clean clean up some of the thinking that we do. We need to learn to cast down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know, just so cast Satan out. You have that authority to tell Satan to get behind you. But start if you start cleaning up your thoughts, he, the Lord, remember the Lord talked about cleaning the cup on the inside, that the outside might be clean. We need to learn to, by the grace of God, to uh, clean up what we think in our hearts. Um, well, you know, and I've, I've heard some say, well, you, you know, following your heart's not a good thing. Well, where's God looking? Is he looking at my ugly mug? No. Uh, he's looking at my heart. God, God's not looking on the outward appearance. He's looking on my heart. Maybe that's where I need to look to clean things up. All right? So that, that if I clean up the inside, the outside will be clean also. Okay, so he says, He's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The eyes of him, of him with whom we have to do. Is that talking about a Bible? No, it's not. It's not. He says, seeing then, now, now he brings this, wraps this up. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He explains what he's talking about right there in the 14th verse. Let us hold fast our profession. So the word of God here in, the, in this context is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and how that. So uh, let's see. I want to go to Second Corinthians. Chapter two, I believe. And, and keep in mind that it's a shame that it's this way, but there are a lot of people in the world that are using the Word of God to enrich themselves, to, to take advantage of, of people that probably don't study their Bibles at all. You know, you study your Bible a little bit is better than none at all, but they're taking advantage of and here Paul is, is warning, telling the church at Corinth, I don't have time to take in all this context, uh, but he says in verse 16, verse 15, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and them that saved and, and then that perish. To one we are the savor of death unto death, and to other the savor of life unto life, and who is sufficient for these things. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Now, that's that's taking and corrupting the word of God. Now again, are you going to corrupt the Lord Jesus Christ? No, nope, you're not. But people, like I said, it's already because of, there's so many different versions, supposedly of the word of God out there, it's already been corrupted. It's already. 
And a lot of people come to the Word of God with preconceived notions and ideas. And Peter talks about how that they rest the Word. They wrestle with it, trying to make it fit your idea of what you think it says. So, in other words, we should come to the Word of God and let it teach us instead of us trying to force our preconceived notions and ideas. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. You think anybody out in the world handles the word of God deceitfully? Absolutely it is. Then again, this is not the living word. This is the written word or the preached word. Men can and do handle the word of God in such a manner that it's dishonoring to the Lord. Very quickly, Jeremiah 23. Verse 36. Thus shall you say, everyone to his neighbor, everyone to his brother, what hath the Lord answered? And what hath the Lord spoken? And the burden of the Lord shall you mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. For ye have perverted the words of the living God. Now, you want a, want a good instance of that? Pick up a Talmud sometime and you'll be disgusted. You will be just. And these are the, the traditions that the Jews uh, have their, put their own spin on what they think that the Word of God teaches. Uh, it gets into some very, um, very graphic things. Uh, and let's just say if, any, if anybody... Uh, knows what pedophilia is, you'll get an idea of some of the things that are in that book. But they perverted, they've perverted the words of the living God. He is, he is our God. He has made us and not we ourselves. Uh, he is alive. He is living in our hearts. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we, we think about that temple. And one of the things that the enemy desires to do is enter into the temple. He wants, he wants to reside in the hearts of God's people. You know, there's a scripture that John says, if any man love the world and the things of the world, the love of God is not in him. What's, if the love of God is not in us, what is? What are we allowing to take residence? What, what rules us? And there's another text that says, if you're the uh, friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. 
I know that the carnal mind is enmity with God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. And then he goes on to say that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We, we have to realize that we have to exercise ourselves in the things of the Spirit. So, you remember uh, I back, in, back in the day, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Muscles, Mr. Muscles. But you know this thing, you've got the same muscles that he does. The only difference is you haven't exercised those muscles. And it's, it's true in the Spirit that if we exercise them, the things of the Spirit will grow in knowledge and in grace and will become a vessel meet for the Master's use. But if you don't ever exercise in the, in the things of the Spirit of God, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness. The Lord calls us to be holy. He says, be ye holy, I am holy. Now, have you attained or have any of us attained? No, but we're to press toward the mark of the high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus. He's called us with a holy calling. And it's not according to our works, whether good or evil. It's according to His own purpose. His own purpose. And I've tried to explain that. And that's one of the hardest things to grasp because we've been indoctrinated. You know, Sonny Piles has a saying that it's, it's very hard to overcome a childhood raising. You know, uh, we've been, well, in the world that we live in now, the schools, uh, kids are being indoctrinated. Uh, they're being taught to uh, attend these these transgender dances and all this kind of garbage. But it, it's, and when we go to think about it, well, a lot of things in a childhood raising that are hard to overcome, but think about over there in Beirut, Lebanon. Not too long ago, I had some photos on my website, and one of them was a little three-year-old had dynamite strapped all around him. You know how the, those suicide bombers, and they're teaching their children the same thing, and those men grow up, and what do they do? Now, are, are they right? Absolutely not. Therefore, it behooves every one of us to examine ourselves, uh, judge ourselves, and humble ourselves. But now we could be carrying we could be carrying baggage, just like those little boys in Beirut that grow up to want to be suicide bombers. That's what their parents taught them, and what did our parents teach us? But he says, examine yourselves, and then we judge ourselves, and then we need to humble ourselves and walk humbly before God. And whatever baggage that we find that's of the world, we need to, we need to shuck it off. Like I said, friend of the world, enemy of God. If you love the world and the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That, that's simply saying, what do you make room for in your life? And 
where is that distinction between the world and God's kingdom? We know that Satan has a dominion here. And if that weren't so, when the Lord was tempting Christ, or when Satan was tempting Christ, the devil said, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you all this. Well, the Lord didn't say, it's not yours to give. He said, you'll worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. So Satan has, has a dominion and God has a kingdom. Now, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And that's good news. Now, that's, I mean, old Baptist, because we know, we know and understand the grace of God and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should be the happiest people ever. You know, we're earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints we're standing in the ways and seeing and asking for the old paths. Where is the good way? Well, we'll find rest for our souls. Now, that one people said we will not walk therein. God forbid that we should take such a position. We are seeking the old paths and the good way that's straight and narrow that leads to life. Now, one place he says strive to enter into the straight gate. Well, that can't be taught. He says few there be that find it. That's not talking about heaven and immortal glory. That's talking about the church. If you strive, that's a work. And thinking about rewards, where is your reward? Your reward's in heaven. Where is heaven? Heaven comes down sometimes, doesn't it? I, I didn't go to the camp meeting, but I could, I've, I've been in meetings before where, the, where heaven came down and uh, where it, we were lifted up and able to see the Lord in spirit and we rejoice. And I remember days when there were shouting in the congregation, believe it or not. But now we're, we're too refined, you know. We don't. We don't want to. We want to quench the spirit. Basically, I know you don't, brother Tony. No, you don't either, Eric. Thank God for you. But let it out sometimes. If you if you see it and you understand it and you want to praise the Lord, just let it out. Don't quench the spirit. Okay. But any anyway, we should be the happiest people on earth. We should be the happy because God's given us truth. Uh, yeah, it's an, uh, we're looked upon. Uh, these people that drive by on this freeway, look over here at this building, they have no idea of the beauty that could be held in this place. Uh, they have no earthly idea how that God blesses just a small handful of people. And he did say, fear not, little flock, didn't he? For it's the Father's good pleasure. God's pleased to give us the kingdom. And he has given us that table that we may eat and drink in his kingdom. And I'm thankful for that, for that truth. But we, can, we earnestly contend. We stand up for it. You know, there's a saying, if you don't stand, stand for something, you'll fall for everything. But we need, to, we need to take a stand. and We need to get off the fence. If anybody's a fence rider, get off the fence. Get on God's side, and let's put away um, the things of the world. Remember what Paul said about Moses. He'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Dallas Cowboys, Six Flags, rock concerts, you could have all that, 
It's not of God. It's of the world. Like I said, you've got to find somewhere where you draw a line and said, okay, the world's here and over here is where I need to be. We've got to, we've got to make that distinction. Now, there, there is a sanctification of the Spirit. I believe that's, that takes place when we're born of the Spirit of God. And there is a, sanctif- a practical sanctification that we need to repent. And God give us, by the way, repentance is a grace. God give us the grace to repent where we stand in need. Is anybody here doesn't want to please God? You all want to please the Lord. Well, he says without faith, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith. I had to exercise a little bit of that this morning. I didn't know I was going to be called on. Preaching should be a thing of faith. Listening should also be something of faith. God prepares. uh, He says the answer of the tongue, uh, the preparation of the heart and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And I, I pray that hopefully I've said something this morning that will edify you and that has glorified our God. For he is good, and we have so, so much to be thankful for. Even though, even though the, he, the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. We're heirs and joint heirs. Now, if we're joint heirs with Christ, and I'm getting all over the place. If we're joint heirs with Christ, how be it that some say that there are different regree, degrees of reward in heaven? Are, are you going to uh, be four or five seats higher than me, Brother Ward? Or is someone, you know, someone going to be four or five seats above? I don't believe that. I believe that rewards happen in the here and now. Whether it's for good or evil, be rewarded for our works, whether they be good or evil. And I'm thinking about that great white throne. And he says, I saw the dead, both small and great, standing before that throne. I saw the dead, both small and great. God is not the God of the dead. God's a, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but Revelation, at Revelation 20, I believe you're seeing a left-hand view of Matthew chapter 25 when he separates the sheep from the goats. Something, something for you to think about. But uh, I've already stood long enough. <clears throat> I'm not going to take any more time. Thank you all for your good attention.